Hello, and welcome to the Diet NPO podcast. My name is Zach, and I'll be your host. Back for another solid week of tutoring and podcasting here, everyone. I stupidly this week kind of screwed myself a little bit because I forgot what days I worked. I actually went in for extra shifts at my other job at the hospital this week, so I really screwed myself on kind of what kind of time I had, but just a packed schedule overall. Do you ever realize that your schedule feels so packed sometimes that you finally come to this realization that like, oh wait, this is totally my fault for this reason? That's kind of what I'm realizing right now. Even things such as workouts, wedding planning, home projects, all kind of fall out when you don't feel like you have the time to do that. To boot, my car just broke down, so me and my partner, we are now sharing a car, and I think we're going to totally decide to be a one-car kind of household, which has been going pretty well. We're kind of trying at this point just to see if I'm going to need to repair my vehicle or if I'm going to need to figure something else out. I enjoy riding my bike places, but then again, not so much in 30 degree weather, it turns out. Another thing that is broken is people's GI tract in the hospital. Since since I was there this week, I really started noticing and thinking and said, hey, maybe it's a good time to talk about a little bit of our EN and PN in the podcast as well, just to do another refresher. So why not do a little refresher as to the indications for nutrition support in the clinical setting, in the outpatient setting, and if maybe if you were a st- student who didn't really get a great clinical experience, this could be a great podcast for you so that we can all learn just a little more about when to use EN, when to use PN, or just to use an oral diet in general. So I'll walk you through it. I'll be your guide and tutor. Let's start with the oral diet. Obviously, if we have someone who's hospitalized without any dysphagia, without any GI tract related issues, we prefer them to consume an oral diet almost primarily. Um, This has a couple other benefits. One is that we get to use these muscles of the neck to keep these in shape. We get a lot of good hormonal response when we're eating orally. A lot of our enzymes are going to get secreted due to that kind of oral intake type of thing. So in general, we prefer an oral diet if we can do that. But why wouldn't we be able to consume an oral diet, you think? Hmm. Well, as an oncology dietitian, I can tell you that about a third of the patients that I see on any given day are people with head and neck related cancers or someone with a difficulty swallowing of some kind. An easy way to think of this is if someone has any difficulty swallowing, mouth pain, they've had maybe an esophagectomy where they remove part of their esophagus, a stroke, or even if they just have painful chewing issues as a result of surgery or lack of teeth, that's a big one. I ask everyone that I see in the outpatient setting, do you have teeth? because they all have a mask on and I cannot tell whatsoever. (laughs) Um, These would all be indications of when someone might need enteral nutrition. If they cannot swallow, cannot chew, cannot get the nutrition orally, then we need to use some EN. Another lesser known one is that if someone is unable to meet their needs through that oral diet, maybe their stomach is smaller or their appetite or their taste just sucks, we might need to do some enteral nutrition just to make up that difference of what their body needs. So maybe they can still chew, maybe they can still swallow, but it's the whole thought that if they're not able to meet their full 100% of their needs, well, then we need to consider some type of enteral or nutrition support for them, right? Now, we're gonna go through the enteral nutrition here and we're gonna talk about access. How am I gonna access that enteral nutrition? Well, we can put a tube in a couple of places. We can put a tube up the nose, we can put a tube down their mouth, or we can put a tube through the side of their stomach a little bit um, for different reasons. 
Now, if I have a patient who only needs to be on tube beating, let's say about one week, two weeks maybe even at tops there, would I want to go putting a, a peg tube or a PEG tube, those, those ones that go in through the side of the stomach, or would I maybe want to go through an NG or an OG type tube? Well, definitely, if we're only going to be using enteral nutrition for, you know, one, two weeks maybe, then we would prefer to place an NG or an OG tube. It's a much more temporary type of placement. It doesn't require them to be under surgery a lot of the time. Um, under anesthesia, I mean by that, is that we're not going to have to place it surgically, so it's a little bit easier to do that. If I have a patient that's on a ventilator, they already have a big old tube down their throat that's helping their lungs to do the job there. So you know what I'm going to do is I'm just going to throw that tube right down that same o that OG tube right down that same tube because they already have a big tube going down their throat. I'm just going to toss it down there as we usually do for our ventilated patients. Now the tube, the tube can go ahead and end in multiple different places. It can end in the stomach, it can end at the jejunum, and that'll be depending on what we need to do here. Now what if I have one of my cancer patients who needs to use the tube for about three months or so. Well, then we don't want to place an NG, we don't want to place an OG, because that's going to be really tough on them um, to have that up their nose or their throat all day. So I would much more prefer to place a PEG tube, a percutaneous endoscopic gastronomy tube, or a percutaneous endoscopy jejunostomy tube. Um, they're both going to end in different areas. We'd like to feed into the stomach first if we can, and that's just because if we feed into the stomach, we can feed more of like a polymeric formula, normal size cell, kind of like normal size macronutrients, polysaccharides. We can feed those in the stomach no problem because the stomach will be able to digest a lot of those things. But there's times when we would prefer to actually feed into the jejunum. Um, we're not going to get as much hormonal response from the stomach, but if it's a safer option, then we're totally going to do it. Why would I want to feed into the jejunum? Well, we know that the small intestine is the duodenum, the jejunum, and the ileum. Those are those three segments in order. We know that, for example, there's some reasons we wouldn't want to feed into the stomach. One of these reasons could be with like pancreatitis is a great example. So when someone is getting nutrition, a lot of the times when someone has pancreatitis, a lot of the times their pancreas is overacting and whenever they eat or they get any nutrition through their stomach, it goes into that duodenum and then their pancreas freaks out, causes a lot of pain. Well, I can choose to then place an NG or a PEG tube if I wanted to and then I'm going to feed into the jejunum. And by doing so, I am skipping the duodenum, I am skipping that pancreatic area, and now I get to feed right into that area, still give them the enteral nutrition they require. Or maybe a patient has gastroparesis, which is that slow gastric emptying, where their stomach empties so slow. Well, then I would definitely want to place like an NJ or a PEG tube for them so that I can skip the stomach. Or even excessive emesis, excessive vomiting, where if I want to make sure they keep everything down, then I'm going to feed into the jejunum. But in general, if that gut is working, yes, let's use that enteral nutrition as much as possible. But, hey, we always see that there always is sometimes issues with the GI tract. Sometimes we can initiate tube feedings or an oral diet. So let's talk about when that would be. PN, or total parenteral nutrition, is an infusion of macro and micronutrients in the most basic elemental form. I've had some students before and be like, oh, could I feed Jevity 1.5 through an IV? 
No, you are going to kill someone if you do that. Do not do that ever. So parenteral nutrition, the whole purpose is, is that we're taking those free amino acids, that dextrose, monosaccharide, the triglycerides, and we're feeding them in through the IV in the most elemental broken down form. What would be the reasons we'd have to use TPN? Well, they really do vary. These reasons can vary, but in creative thinking, whenever we cannot use the gut for some reason, we need to use TPN. Say I have a patient with multiple gunshot wounds, their stomach and their intestines. If I go feeding an oral diet or some internal nutrition to that area where those gunshot wounds are, guess what? We're gonna cause a big infection throughout that area and it's gonna be super painful. How about another scenario? Let's say someone has a short bowel obstruction possibly due to a big giant tumor. Or maybe they have a paralytic ileus. Picture the fact that that nutrition is coming down the GI tract, but it's gonna run into a wall at some point. So it's just gonna build up and build up and build up and it's never gonna go anywhere. So these would be reasons we would have to use total parenteral nutrition, or even if a patient is post a gastric surgery, we'd wanna use to give that nice rest of that area, let it heal up. So we'd have to use TPN in that case. Let's apply this to a couple practice questions to kind of help us out to get these down. A 45-year-old female arrives to the hospital with intractable vomiting. She has poor oral intake and abdominal pain for one week. She is found to have a short bowel obstruction. What would your first step be? Start the patient on an oral diet, place an NG tube and infuse enteral nutrition, keep the patient NPO for two weeks before transitioning to an oral diet, or would we initiate parenteral nutrition slowly? Again, 45-year-old female, short bowel obstruction, abdominal pain, and poor PO for one week. So when we're thinking of her, all right, she's already had pretty poor PO. I'm a little bit worried about her. I, don't, I definitely don't wanna prolong this period of NPO any longer. If I start her in an oral diet, that is not gonna go well. Again, she is a small, short bowel, sorry, she is an SBO, small bowel obstruction. So then we're not gonna be able to feed any oral diet in there. Same goes for the NG tube. If I infuse enteral nutrition in their area, oh boy, she's gonna have some issues. And if I keep her NPO for two weeks, that's just gonna be a total of three weeks of her not keeping any food down. So she's gonna have some big issues as a result. So my best option will probably be to initiate some parenteral nutrition slowly. She's at nutrition risk. I think I need to get her some nutrition ASAP. A number two, a patient with pancreatitis in severe malnutrition reports abdominal pain after eating. What diet would be the best to initiate? Would it be a high fat diet, low fat diet, NPO and place an NG to initiate some tube feedings? Or do we keep them MPO and place an NJ to initiate tube feedings? Again, patient with pancreatitis, severe malnutrition. So obviously I need to get them some really good nutrition really soon. And they're having pain when they eat an oral diet. If they weren't having the pain and they could be on an oral diet, I'd probably just keep them on that if I could. But the thing is they're having a lot of issues eating, so I've got to get them nutrition as soon as possible. How do you think they're going to handle a high-fat diet? I can already tell you. They are not gonna do well on that. They're gonna have a lot more abdominal pain. A lot of the times for pancreatitis, we actually do a low-fat diet when they can tolerate an oral. But would I wanna do a low-fat diet right now? Hmm, I don't think they're quite ready for it. They seem like they're still having a lot of abdominal pain. They're severely malnourished. So I need to probably get them some other form of nutrition. 
Now, if I give them an NJ tube, I'm sorry, an NG tube, it's going to feed into that gastric stomach area. That's going to still, the pancreas is still going to be working, still going to have issues. So I would prefer answer D, place an NJ tube and initiate tube feeds. That would be my best option because they're malnourished. I need to get them nutrition ASAP. Number three. A 50-year-old female with head and neck cancer will be undergoing radiation therapy, affecting her ability to swallow for two months. Which of the following diet would you recommend for her? Would you recommend a level seven IDC diet? Would you recommend an NG tube for enteral nutrition? Would you recommend a PEG tube for enteral nutrition? Or would you recommend TPN? And I'm thinking for this patient, like during treatment, what would you recommend for them? When they're having the issue swallowing, what would you recommend to them? Again, head and neck cancer, radiation therapy. You can ask me what I think I should do for them. A level seven ATC diet, this would be stuff, normal consistency foods. We're talking fried chicken, bulky foods, jerky, french fries, burgers, you name it, they can do it. Now, I can tell you just from my experience, Level 7 ATC diet is very, very poorly tolerated with these patients. Their throat is so raw that any type of scratchy, dry, irritating foods are going to cause some major pain issues. So I'm going to rule that out. It's not going to be the best fit for her. An NG tube for enteral nutrition, okay, enteral might be a good idea, but remember, she's not going to be eating for about two months. So is she going to have a tube up her nose for two months? Nah, I don't believe in that too well. What about a PEG tube for internal nutrition? Now this I like. A PEG tube I like because it's gonna be a more of a permanent type of thing, long-term option, and it's gonna get her the nutrition she needs. So I'm gonna hold on to that. Or should I go ahead and give her TPN? Well, there's no issues with her ability to digest the foods. It's all about her ability to swallow them through the neck area. So I'm gonna not do TPN. That would be contraindicated. I don't need that right now. So I would much prefer a PEG tube for enteral nutrition. Good questions right there, right? Now today on the What's Eating You segment, I wanted to talk about some Halloween tales. We had a nice little get together for Halloween recently and we dressed up as the Little Red Riding Hood fairy tale as a group here. My partner was a Little Red. My large black dog was our wolf. Our small golden retriever was a basket. And I was the brave woodsman, huntsman, lumberjack, whatever it's been interpreted as that saves Little Red. It was a great time, and we had fun putting together snacks, appetizers, desserts, all kinds of things. My partner had some great, nice, cheap Halloween treats that we put together as well. One of which is she melted down a whole bunch of almond bark, which is commonly used for candies, cupcakes, um, cakes, frostings, you name it. It can be used in lots of options. And the favorite one that she did was she took some Oreos and she put on some edible eyeballs on, on each of them. And then she spread the almond bark over it to make them look like mummies. So that was really, really cute. I really enjoyed that. The second one, she took some leftover melted almond bark and she added green food coloring to make it into witch's fingers. So these were, and she dipped those in pretzel rods. So it was really cool. So that's it for the What Diet NPO podcast today. I hope you, enjoy, you all enjoyed learning a little bit more about your EN, your PN, and when to use it. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. I appreciate you all following here. Follow me on IG at Zach underscore snacks. Reach out for any tutoring needs. And hey, have a great day.